What's up guys? Welcome back to Blondes Building Equity. Today is our, I think, are going to be our favorite show yet. Sorry yeah. for our past guests. Love you guys. But Brandon <laughs> Turner actually was a big influence on us when we were agents five years ago. We started watching his videos. He broke down. He's famous for the Burr Method. Mm -hmm. We've all seen it. Everybody's tried to copy him on those videos, but he is the O. G and he's built quite the empire. So I'm so excited to ask him some questions today and really get to know him. I was going to say that was, that was quite the reputation I got to live up to now. Uh, yeah, I feel like the, the wise, the wise old guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. I have been pumped. I've been pumped about doing this. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, I'm Brandon Turner. Been in real estate now for like 85 years. It feels like uh, I'm I'm 36 right now. Like I was young. I, my first site, my first website, like it, social thing was called Real Estate in Your 20s. I was like 24. And I'm like, I can teach you real estate. Now I'm the old guy in the room and it's it's weird. Anyway, I do real estate. Not all. Yeah, <laughs> you still got your whole life ahead of you. Oh, good. I'm. I got. I got plenty <laughs> of years to grow. But uh, yeah, I do real estate, and I like talking about it. So I think the biggest question that I have, and I know a lot of people probably have, is how did you get started? I know you were really passionate about it, but how did you get started with your first deal? Because I think. For us, what we've noticed is the first deal is the hardest just to get in, put an offering, get it accepted, go through escrow. Financing. So, yeah, walk us through your first deal as far as how you found it and how you got it financed. Yeah, so my first deal, I'll break up into like two different chunks here. And they both apply to people depending on where you're at. So the first one I had, I didn't even know what real estate was. I didn't care about it, nothing. But I rented a four-bedroom apartment while I was in college, like going to like some small community college. Rented a four-bedroom apartment, rented out the other three bedrooms to just guys from the college. And I got to live for like super cheap. And then I was like, wait, if I live on the couch and I rent my fourth bedroom out, I could live for free. So my literally like my first real estate thing was a quote unquote, no money down like house hack situation. It's like arbitrage, right? Like yeah, yeah. It and it totally worked. Yeah, it totally worked. Uh, I mean, I, I lived on a couch. I don't recommend that for everyone. But the idea of like, I will sacrifice now. Like it's like eating the bowl of Lucky Charm cereal, right? I will eat the cereal now so I can eat the marshmallows later. Like that's like the story of my life is like, eat the marshmallows later. I'm gonna make t-shirts that say, eat the marshmallows later. <laughs> I would wear that t-shirt for sure. Okay, so you rented this, you rented the house. Did you have to get permission from the landlord to have other people or was it just like, subleased like they were on the lease. yeah technically speaking you're supposed to i don't think i actually did for the first couple i think i just moved people in and then i think they found out and they're like hey they have to be on the lease and then i made them go and actually be on the lease and then you know we, we figured it out and uh it worked i mean i got to live i think i even made money like here i was in college i think i was making a couple hundred bucks a month off renting the bedrooms out and still i had no idea real estate was gonna be my thing all i was thinking at the time was i work at cold stone creamery scooping ice cream and i make eight dollars an hour like i gotta do something and you know, housing is everyone's big, generally everyone's biggest expense, right? Like the, what you pay for rent or mortgage, that's the biggest thing. So if you can eliminate that, you can have like so much more opportunity to do other things, but people trap themselves on this. I got to have a really nice place and a really nice property. And I don't like want roommates. Uh, and so that's, they get trapped themselves in. Now the alternative, the second story, a couple of years later, or maybe a year later, I actually bought a house, uh, 
so at the time, this is like 2007, they're giving mortgages out like candy to anybody who has a pulse. And so they approved me for like a stupid expensive mortgage. Uh, but my mom was a garage sale mom. I don't know if y'all had garage sale parents, but like every weekend we could pack in the minivan, go garage sale. And I learned from my mom, always, always negotiate the lowest price, always go for the cheap thing. You can resell it later. And so my mom would like flip garage sale items. Yeah. Like it's just, you learn from your parents. And so I learned buy the cheapest house. I bought an $80,000 dump house and I moved in a bunch of buddies into all the bedrooms. And this time, instead of renting a place and renting the bedrooms, I lived in the place and rented the bedrooms. And I sold it a year later, made 25 grand. And that was the start of my kind of career. And you're like, wait, I'm onto something here. I can make some yeah. money real estate. Oh, that, so that's exactly what it was. It was like this proof of concept. I was actually going to go to law school and I took the LSAT and everything. And I was like, I was like going to go to law school. And then I was like, wait, the average lawyer makes like 60 grand their first year. I just made 25 part-time on a house. I like, this is way better. So jumped into real estate. Wow. And then, so what do you think now that you've been doing it for, you know, 85 years, you said, <laughs> what do you think is your if you were gonna start over and you were fresh money, what is the best advice you give to kind of start over? What do you think is the best strategy that you found? Yeah, so here's the way I look at it. Everything works in real estate. I love saying this, everything works. Like, let's say you were like, you know what? I'm super passionate about vacation rental properties. Great, there is a way to make millions of dollars invested in vacation rentals. But let's say you were like, no, I really am passionate about helping low-income people. I wanna do Section 8, which is like the government program. Great, you can make millions of dollars in Section 8. So I like to say, follow the fire. Like there's a fire in your like in your soul about something. Lean into that because otherwise you're just going to give up. You're going to be bored. You're going to be frustrated and, and you're going to go through hard times and be bored and frustrated anyway. You might as well have it in something that you got some fire about. That said, the, the, the cautionary, I guess, lesson with that is fire sometimes shifts a little bit. Like you'll be like a month into a flip, let's say, right? And then you're like, whoa, uh, you know, this is kind of hard. Vacation rentals sound cool. And then you do that for a month and you're like, oh, actually section eight sounds cool. And so the problem is people shift too much. So if you're going to pick something, stick with it until you're great at it or until it fails and then shift to something else. But it all works. Uh, but if I had to choose, I love from a cash flow, meaning like just make some money quick perspective. I love vacation rentals. They're just too difficult because a lot of counties and a lot of towns are cracking down on them. But if you can find a location where vacation, yeah. no, did they? Yeah, that's what, yep. yeah, Hawaii's been getting rid of them left and right here, but there's usually loopholes. So here's what, what's funny about government regulations. Anytime the government puts in regulations about something like, hey, no more vacation rentals in, in the normal areas. What that actually does is it eliminates all your competition because most people want easy, right? They want like the easy button, like, oh, I got a vacation. So instead, when a government puts a regulation in, that is an opportunity to figure a way around it and then make more money. I'll give an exact example. In Maui County, where I live in Maui, they killed all vacation rentals a few years ago. They don't like them. They're almost impossible to get them, except two cases. One, if you live in the property and you have like an extra unit, you can get a permit to have a vacation rental there. So that's one way a person can, I mean, you could literally buy a million dollar house in Maui and then live for free if you just rented out your second unit, which every property has as a vacation rental. So loophole number one there. Loophole number two is there are zoned areas down by the beach that are called like condo tells. They're like hotels, but they're condos. And they are have always been and will likely always be okay to have vacation rentals. Great. So I got really good at learning what those are, where those are. And now I have two of them that make like each seven, eight grand a month each in just passive income. And it just works. But and everyone else is like, oh, you can't do vacation rentals in Maui. No, you you can. You have to learn the rules and then you learn how to break the rules legally. And that is where there's so much money to be made. Uh, yeah, we we learned at a, a conference one time and it's now been my fit. What I live by is other people's problems is your opportunity. So the way that you 
if you learn how to solve, if there's a problem now, my mind is just completely changed from learning yeah. this. Now when something's hard, I'm excited because yeah. I'm like, everybody else thinks this is hard and they're going to give up. So that's what happened with my first flip in Puerto Rico. It was nothing's renovated there. Everybody's moving there for taxes. And it was just hard. It was so difficult that nobody wanted to try. They didn't speak Spanish. So I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be the one that can renovate all these homes for people. And then it was just like such an opportunity. So if you guys are listening and see a problem, if you approach it differently and somebody sell, tells you you can't do it, oh, that's a challenge. You, you got to be like, oh, okay, let me figure this out. Because there's loopholes in everything, in, in taxes, in, in investing into real estate, yeah. in all things. You just have to figure out the way and work harder than anybody else. Yeah, and I think another thing, because we do live by that rule, window times right now, it's like so hard to get windows. And so we're doing this fix and flip in LA and we're giving ourselves anywhere from three to six months. It's just a cosmetic fix and flip. And the only thing that we're waiting on is windows. And so our contractor was like, unless you can get to the owner himself, like, I don't know how you're going to expedite the windows. No, he literally said, I know you can't. And like, just get this out of your mind. There's no yeah. way to get windows faster. And literally both of us were like fired up. When someone tells yeah. us no, we're like, okay. So what did we do? We went on Instagram and we messaged a hundred window companies and manufacturers and we got them to reply. And they're like, if you promote us, we'll work with you and expedite your shipping and give you a discount. So it's like, obviously not everyone can do that, but where there's, our strength, you where know? there's problems, there's opportunities. So that's the way that we look at it now. That's the way that I think you look at things. And that's how you'll be the most successful is if you change your mindset in that sense. So I like that you're doing vacation rentals. I want to go back to one of your first properties. So how, instead of renting and, and doing like the renting arbitrage, how did you actually purchase your first property? Did you have the down payment? Did you use a private money lender? Did you get investors? Like walk me through that, the financial process. Cause I think that's what stops a lot of people. Cause they think if they don't have the money, they don't know how to do it. So I want to know how you did it. Yeah, sure. So that very, very first house I bought, I think I used basically what was the, what today they call it the FHA loan. It's like a three and a half percent down at the time they had another name for it and it was a little different, but basically it was a 3% down loan that was given. If you're going to live in the property, they still have it today. FHA 3.5% down. Now it used to be three. Now it's three and a half. And as long as you're gonna live in the property or plan to live in the property for at least a year, you can get this crazy low down payment loan. So that's all I did for the first deal. Now I needed to fix it up. I didn't have like the 20 grand to fix it up. So for that, I used a combination. I used a little bit of credit card stuff, knowing like I would eventually pay it off, which I don't always recommend, but you know, it, it worked. Uh, and then I think I borrowed like 10 grand from my parents. I was like, Hey, I got this house. It, we're almost done with it, but I'm at the very end and I'm out of credit. Can I borrow 10 grand? I'll pay it right back. And I used their, they had a line of credit on like their house. I use that. Uh, now I do want to, I do want to say here a lot of times when people listen to podcasts like this and they hear stories like you're just window story, right? Or they hear mine of I borrowed 10 grand from my parents. Their instant reaction to that is, Oh, must be nice to have that. Right. And they, they find a way to, to take themselves and say, this is why it's not possible for me. But I, I just want to encourage people listening. This like everybody has an unfair advantage somewhere. Like everybody has that thing, right? So don't go, oh, it must be nice. Like must be nice is like the most irritating phrase in the world to me because everybody has something that's nice. So figure out what yours is and figure out a way. If it wasn't that, it was something else. And and anyway, there, there's always a way to do it. But yeah, for me, it was just, it was make it happen, the low down payment loan. And 
It worked. That's what I also, we're working with this agent right now that sends us a lot of off-market properties. And that's what I always tell him too, is that we have advantages that maybe some other people don't, but what I always encourage everyone, you have something that someone else does not have. If you can add value to someone else, they will help you find out what your value add is. We know ours very, very clearly. And we bring that to the table. Therefore, we know what we're giving to get something in exchange. So I think anyone who's watching, I encourage you guys, write down what your value adds are. Write down what you're good at. You either have a lot of time or you have a lot of money. Some people have both. Barbara Corkin talked about this. But you either have a lot of time or you have a lot of money. So if you don't have a lot of money, I'm assuming you have a lot of time. So if you have a lot of time, you're going to do the groundwork for the people that do have the money. And then you're going to take the people that do have the money and use their money and mm -hmm. With your time, you're going to make them money. If you have a lot of money, obviously you can be a private money lender. There's ways to, you know, give it to people that have time. But I think just understanding what your value add is very, very important when starting out. So I always encourage people understand that. And you have something that other people don't have. And if you don't, then find something. Specialize yourself in something. Do the work. Yeah, that's that's such a key there. Yeah, I was gonna say specialize. I love that you said that. Like specialize, like real estate is all is a is a knowledge game. Like and every the knowledge is out there. It's free. Get like get good at something. Like, oh you're better at section eight than anybody else that you know. That is a valuable skill. It's a rare and valuable skill. Or you're gonna understanding zoning regulations in an area. Great. Like and a lot of people listening to like, well, I don't want to learn zoning regulations. Okay, well, you don't want to be poor either. So like pick your hard and like go it, like get good at it. read some books, go to your library. Like it doesn't cost anything to get smart. I think also when you say like I'm not good at, I think a lot of times we've been put it we put ourselves into the box and like maybe in school someone told you like you're not good at math and the rest of our life we think I'm not good at math instead of just saying like you can and you are good at everything. So approaching it that way because the second I would be like, Oh, I'm not good at that, then I would honestly just give up and I'm like, wait, when was the last time I genuinely tried at that skill? So it's like I don't think anybody should say they're not good at something, but also be familiar with your weaknesses and yeah. find partners. Like, I think like Jessica's and I's partnership has been so beneficial for us both in our progress because we know our strengths and weaknesses yeah. so well that we, if there's a weakness, we identify it and we say, okay, you know what? I could do this because I can do anything, but I know somebody else would do it better. Mm -hmm. So let's bring them on the team or let's find a partnership that's going to work. So spend some time, you guys, finding your strengths and your weaknesses because that's how you're going to really be able to expand. And Brandon, I also, I want to know because we have identified our strengths. And I always tell people like, you, there's something that you're passionate about or something that you're drawn to or something that you are naturally better at. Focus on that. Why are you focused on things that, I really wanna change this about myself. No, focus on what you're already good at and then get specialized knowledge in that area. So I wanna know for you, when you first started, what was it that you thought you were good at? Was it just like the hustle of like, I can make extra money and this is how I do it? Or what was it that you kind of knew that you were good at? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the beginning, and, and this this kind of a, I'll have a twofold answer to it, but first of all, in the beginning, I thought the only thing I had was my like physical like ability to knock things out. Like I could paint a room, I could hit with a hammer. And now, granted, I gained those skills. I remember going to Home Depot and getting that book that's like one, two, three, home improvement. But my mindset at the time was one that said, your only value, Brandon, is your ability to paint a room or to hit a hammer. So for years, I did all my own work. And granted, I'm not saying that was a bad idea. It 
got me, it got like, I had to have partners put in the money so I could do the deal. Cause I, I had the skill needed. Now, what I didn't realize at the time is that different skills have different dollar amounts and different values attached to them. Right. So what I would have rather like looking back and if I could tell myself younger advice is I would have gotten better at finding properties rather like finding amazing deals rather than swinging a hammer. Swinging a hammer is a $30 an hour job. Finding a great deal is a thousand dollar an hour job. I mean, either way I had to learn either skill. I had to learn how to hit a hammer or I had to learn how to find deals or even higher skill than that is I could have learned how to be a CEO. I could have learned how to build a company from day one. I could learn how to project manage. I could have learned how to like be an influencer, which is like an interesting thing. Not just like social media influencers, just somebody who can like influence the world around them. And and that's almost like the highest form of leverage, right? Because then everyone else does the stuff. And so they there are values, like different levels to that skill. I brought the hammer. I brought the paintbrush. Uh, today, I bring, I think something a lot different. I bring more of that like influence to the table. And I think it changes as you go along. And that's also another thing I'm learning for myself is that it's fine if it changes. Like back in the day, I was a real estate agent and I got specialized knowledge for that. I did pretty well. And now I'm getting into investing and it's okay to change. Like you started and you were the, the actual one doing the physical work. When you started to scale up a bit, that's when you're kind of allowed to change like your specialized knowledge because you kind of did have to start in the beginning saving money because you're getting loans, you know, from your parents and line of credit. You have to save money from a construction point of view by doing it yourself. So you kind of had to do that. And then once you you didn't have to anymore you started saving a bit more capital then you can kind of like offset that and give it to someone else and then get specialized knowledge in a place that makes you a little bit more money which is finding the deals and now having like the presence that you have online yeah and that brings up a good point too is like if you have to start doing the low man jobs the ten dollar an hour jobs because that's all you can do that's fine but i would encourage people don't stay there forever find a way out of that if you can unless you're happy there if you're happy there whatever but if don't get stuck in your comfort zone right and i think a big part of like real estate like real estate we we talked about being like a million different roads of approaching real estate, but I think something really, really important is understanding how to scale. We all mm -hmm. start, you know, he started living on the couch and renting the rooms. And then what do you think was the biggest scaling moment in your head that you would say like, okay, wow, I took this from that to, you know, making whatever you make a month passively now. Yeah, I'll tell you. This is the story. So I, I for a decade, I worked with a company called BiggerPockets.com. They're the largest real estate investing website on the planet. I was on their podcast, right? I started their podcast. And I mean, it's a phenomenal company. I love these people and I helped build it from the ground up. But at some point, the company was sold to private equity. So we sold the company to private equity at some point. Uh, Josh was the original founder of the website. He sold most of the shares off and went and kind of retired. So they brought in this new board of directors from this private equity firm. And the what do they call them? The chairman of the board who's been in business for like 50 years, wicked smart guy. He sits us down at this table, me and a few others at the company. And he says, you know, so tell me what your plans are. And we go, okay, well, we've got this many developers. We've got this many, you know, uh, social media people. We have this many podcasts, blah, blah, blah. And here's what we're going to do. And we have this and here's what we're going to do. And we have this and here's what we're going to do. And finally he holds up his hand and he's like, you guys, guys, stop telling me what you have and what you can do with it. Tell me what's possible and what you need to get there. And it was for me, it was this mind blowing revelation. I don't know why I never thought that way. I always thought like, oh, I can swing a hammer. Therefore I can do this or I can, you know, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. I can do this. But he's like, no, tell me what's possible. Tell me where you want to go. And then let's figure out the how on the way there. So I leave that meeting, like not thinking about bigger pockets necessarily. I was thinking about my own real estate. Like, whoa, could I really apply this knowledge to growing a real estate business? At the time, 
time, it was my wife and I were doing all the work ourselves, mostly managing ourselves, had a small portfolio of around 30 properties or 30 units, I should say. And like, it was fine, but I left there going, how do I do this bigger? And over the next few weeks, I went to a couple conferences. I was talking to more people and I ended up making a plan going, well, you know, what's possible is buying $50 million worth of real estate. What would I have to do to buy $50 million worth of real estate? Well, I guess I would need to have a full-time person to talk with investors to raise money. I would need somebody who's just out there looking for deals left and right, like an acquisitions person. I would need a finance person to handle all the money. I would need a assistant. And over the next couple of months, I found all those people. And then instead of buying $50 million of real estate in the timeline we had set for that goal, we ended up buying $300 million of real estate. And I should cross a billion in real estate by the end of this year, just because I shifted my perspective from what do I have and what can I do with it to where do I want to go and what do I need to get there? And so it's a way that most people don't think. Isn't that great? Like think backwards, like think, where do you want to go? What do I need? You build that team. And guess what? Like I didn't build it. I mean, I, I hired a few people in that group and then they built the company. I wasn't even involved. I mean, uh, other than at a high level, I haven't been involved in the day to day. That's how I'm able to work maybe two, three, four, five hours a week at most at that business. Yet it has grown to just crazy amounts. We just crossed 5,000 units and we've raised money from over a thousand different accredited investors and it just took off like a rocket ship. So if there's any advice I can give people is don't just look at your current circumstance, what you have, but ask yourself, what do you want? What is possible? If you knew you couldn't fail, what's possible? And then what do you need to get there? I'm, there's like so many like, you know, bells ringing in my head right now, but I'm just Same. thinking for us because we're doing our first flip together here in LA and we want to be hands-on because we want to learn a lot, but something that we've kind of been trying to decide is, okay, do we want a project manager or do we want a construction guy? And we've thought a little bit about like, okay, if we get a project manager, we can act kind of as a general contractor and like we can hire the subs and we can be in charge of everything. But then something that we've been talking about is like, but we can't scale that way. If we want to do 10 flips, our job is to find the specialized contractor that is amazing at what he does right. and find a bunch of those that can hire the subcontractors. Because once we start to scale, we can't scale every single project and be hands-on on every single project. So that's something that we've been like talking about because if our goal is to scale, we need to find those people that have that specialized knowledge instead of thinking that we can do everything. Yeah, and our main goal right now is making our investors money. Yeah, and our main goal, and I think like Brian Pinedra and Grant Cardone, and obviously you have shown us what is possible of having a social media presence and teaching people and kind of like having people along for the journey. So we were talking the other day and I'm like, Kinsey, if our goal is to share with people, like social media does need to be a big part of our job because we've gone into, we were, we're in escrow now and we've gone through so much the past couple of weeks and we haven't really filmed any of it because we're so so busy because we're so hands-on that we're like we don't even think about filming it and i'm like kids we need to offset some of our tap our, our tasks because we do need to have the time to answer questions on TikTok, on instagram film it like have our crew film it and like be very active on social media because that is a huge goal of ours yeah and our let me give you but we need to film you do and like that is the, that's the rare and valuable skill so you guys like there are a hundred people who could paint i mean there's a million people who can paint a room right there's a thousand people who can manage the painter there's a hundred people who can manage a team culture and 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 all that like a ceo there is a few people a handful of people 
who can get online and do a good job of explaining like and educating and and inspiring and that is the rarest and most valuable skill in the entire line of building a uh, building a team in fact let me give you guys a framework real quick that i've been i've been super passionate about lately in fact like whenever i give a keynote now and it tends to like at a conference it tends to be on this topic because i just love this topic and i wish somebody would have told me this early on and if you're listening to this right now grab a pen and paper write these four things down there's like four like mindset levels when it comes to building any business i don't care if it's real estate or anything it doesn't matter you could be a real estate agent it could be building a contracting business there's four like levels of mindset level one is this diy mindset it says how do i get this done just use an example if you're going to start a carpet company you're going to lay carpet at people's houses that's what you want to do you're an entrepreneur you're going to lay carpet so the diy mentality the diy mindset says okay i got to learn how to stretch carpet i got to go buy a knee kicker i got to go and get some business cards made because that's the mindset they approach that business in nothing wrong with that but there's a limit there right next the next level so first one diy the next one i call the project manager the project manager mindset says okay i gotta hire the carpet guy to come and lay the carpet i mean they're still in charge they're still managing everything they're showing up the job site every day they're involved in everything and they're trying to spin plates all day long trying to keep all these things spinning but they're project manager that's you know they can maybe do a few projects at a time but that's the limit there the next level i call the coo the chief operating officer and it doesn't have to actually officially be that title but that's the that's the mindset of I'm going to build a company. I'm going to have five, six, seven, ten employees, and they are going to do everything. I'm going to meet with each of them every week. I'm going to make sure that everyone's on task, but my team is going to do everything. And that's an amazing spot to be. The COO role is awesome. But then there's a fourth level, which is that one I'm talking about, about this like this influence level. I call it the architect, like the person who designs it, who envisions it. And when I think of an architect, I think of Richard Branson, who owns 150 companies. I think of Elon Musk, who owns so many companies out there. And, and like, I mean, Elon, maybe he works a million hours, so maybe he is a little more involved, but like Richard Branson probably doesn't know the name of half his companies because he's the visionary at the top. So the point I'm making here is like every level has a limit. You can only do so much at every level, right? But here's the beauty of this. You get to choose. You get to choose. And the, and the greatest way to put yourself into the mindset that you want to be part of is at, do you remember those like back in the nineties, the WWJD bracelets? It was like, what would Jesus do? And like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had the bracelet and it was like, Hey, would Jesus smoke pot? No, he wouldn't. So I shouldn't smoke pot. Right. That was the idea. I want to make bracelets that say WW like RBD. What would Richard Branson do? Right. Like ask yourself every day, like think of the ideal entrepreneur that's at the level you want to be at and ask yourself, would they do that? Like if Richard Branson was running a flipping company in LA, would he be calling contractors or would he be doing something else? Or let's say you don't like the Richard Branson idea. Who's a top CEO that you admire a COO? Who is a top? Ask that question and it'll put you into their mindset. And suddenly you realize like you get to choose where you go. And that is the coolest feeling is knowing that you can choose. You can build whatever you want as long as you're conscious about this is what I'm going to do. So anyway, rant over, but there's so much opportunity there if you choose the right mindset. I'm so inspired because I feel like me and Kinsey have that in us. And it's, it's been a not a struggle, but it's been something that we've been thinking about. And you always hear it from like the top people. In order to scale, you need to offset these day-to-day -day tasks. You cannot scale if you're doing that. So finding people that specialize in things that you need done, spending time finding people that specialize in that yeah, is more valuable than spending your time trying to be specialized in that. And that's a huge takeaway for us. But finding good employees is not easy. I've done it with my other companies and that's also been a big struggle. And that's why I think with us being the way that we are, we are just so driven that we just 
we don't like to let go of control either because we know unfortunately that like we might just do it better yeah. so it's like finding uh, so for you when you were scaling your business what do you recommend like when you were looking for employees and looking for good people that you trusted so that you could back away for four hours a week like what do you recommend there like how to find them. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great question. So this is one of the benefits too of, of social media and having some kind of a following. And I know people listening are going to go, well, it must be nice to have that. But uh, but there's ways to do it build around that. But let me explain. Yeah. yeah. You can build a following, right? And there's, there's such value in that. So many reasons to do that. But all of my best people, all of them came from the ground up through through my organization. So, I mean, my CEO or my COO, I guess, like the guy who runs my entire company, he was an unpaid intern for six months before I paid him a dime. Uh, my investor relations guy was an intern. My assistant was an intern. All like my, my acquisitions specials, my VP of acquisitions, intern. They all came through some sort of trial test internship. In fact, when we go out there, like we just had a job opening for uh, one of my partners needing an assistant. So we put it out there to the world. Hey, we're looking for an assistant to this real estate, awesome real estate investor, Brian Murray. We had almost 1200 people apply for that position. We then run them through test after test after test. We give them a series of about five or six tests and everyone whittles it down from 1200 to 600 to about 200 down to about hundred down to about 20. And, and honestly, the first few tests, we don't even care about. We just want to know, do you do it. Like send us a video in MP4 format that explains who you are. I don't even watch the videos. I don't care what the video says. Like, I want to know, did you make a video in MP4? Yeah. Did you follow the test? Right? Boom. You did it. You're in the top. We call it running the gauntlet. Like you have to run through this gauntlet and everybody that we have pretty much comes through that. So here's why that's so important. Number one, you never know how somebody is until you work with them. They could be your best friend in the world. They could be, I mean, I've hired my best friend in the world and it was a disaster. Like you could like this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not the disaster for you guys yet, but yeah, you could hire, I've like, hired a few friends, but it's fine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes not. And you never know. It's not about them. It's just about the magic. Like you might have magic. You might not. You don't know. Like I can tell there's magic with you two, right? But you wouldn't have known that unless you got some work. So find ways to work with people before you get married. Date before, I mean, imagine like meeting somebody at the bar and you're like, hey, you want to get married? Like how awkward would that be? Why do we do that in business? So uh, date them before in, you marry right? them. Date them. Yeah, so internships, partnerships, JV, whatever you can do, find a way to work together before you work together all the time. Uh, and then, yeah, raising from your own tribe or from your own group breeds a loyalty that I don't don't think you can get otherwise. And again, the social media helps with that. You're not, you might not get 1200 people to apply, but you might get 50, you might get 20. And if you have to go to the wide world out there, okay, still run the gauntlet, uh, like find ways to test them and make sure they're going to be good. Don't get married before you date. And then finally manage the people, right? Uh, there's a great book out there. It's called traction oh, by I Gina Whitman. Right next to you. <laughs> I know I've got, I've got a lot of books everywhere. Uh, I just like grab them when I need them. Uh, traction is about how to manage a team. It's very much like a, COO type of a book, but it was phenomenal in getting our entire team's goals and processes and people and culture and everything all together synced in a row. And we are all marching in one direction. And when that happened, my workload went from 20 hours a week down to under five, because all of a sudden I wasn't managing people. The system was managing people. Uh, so things like that, that helped a ton. Oh, by the way, one more book that I don't know. Oh, right here. It's, it's sitting on my desk. Who not how by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. Yeah. It's that mindset, right? Stop thinking, how am I going to do this? And start asking who's going to do this. Even little things like you guys said earlier, right? You have to find some contractors that are awesome. I would ask the question, who's going to find me contractors that are awesome, right? Because somebody out there will find you contractors that are awesome. That's so 
just everything else that's being brought to us. The deal is being brought to us. The money's being brought to us. Now we need to find something that find the contractor. And if you guys are listening, you want to get involved into real estate. Like I think the best advice that like I, if I were to go back five years from now and I was really interested in real estate is the value of being an intern. People yeah. are want money and they want to make, they're like, oh, you're not going to pay me. Are you kidding? This conversation of the, an hour we're spending with Brandon, what we've learned is revolutionary. Imagine if I spent was an intern under him. Yeah. This time, what you would learn and you'd be able to grow and build any empire you want if you put in that hard work in the beginning and got to be around those people. We try and get in the room with anybody we can because yeah. that's a learning opportunity. And so yeah. if you can do that, if that means working for free and showing them who you are, that's adding value working for free. So stop just thinking like, oh, this job's going to pay me 50 bucks an hour. This job's going to change my life. Yeah. Some job I'm not getting paid, but I'll figure out a way to make money. But this is going to change my life. You know, I would also argue that it's not even like, like, let's say somebody's listening right now and going, okay, I want to do that. I want to get around some big real estate investor in my area. I want to go help them. And then you go to that person. You're like, Hey, I want to help you. What's that person going to go? They're going to go, Oh shoot. I don't know what you can do for me. I now all of a sudden I got all this pressure to try to find a work for you. I, I'm out. Right? So the alternative, is like thinking what problems do this person have and it might be completely unrelated to real estate for example right now the biggest problem i have in my life is when my wife is teaching my daughter school because she's homeschooling my kindergartner my two-year-old son is just running wild and like it's really hard so now i have to like take a break from whatever i'm doing to go watch my two-year-old i love that but that hurts business so guess what if somebody showed up and was like hey let me take your two-year-old to the park every day at four o'clock you know so your wife like it would change my life. And you think that I would be grateful to that person? You think I would pour into that person and give contacts and, 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 and like help them get started? Definitely, because they solved my problem, right? So find the problem in that person's life and then go solve that. It might be completely unrelated to real estate. It probably is unrelated to real estate. They're gonna spend time with them. They're gonna share their knowledge. They're gonna help you grow. When we have had employees, whenever I've had an employee that's amazing to me, you better bet I wanna like offer them so much value and so much so if you add value to someone else, I mean, unless they're just a complete dick, but I don't know, yeah, yeah. then they're going to want to add value back to you. So like add, learn how to add value to other people and get in the right rooms and yeah, help them in their life, whatever way you can, even if it's with their two year old, that's awesome. Yeah. And the only way you're going to know what their problem is, is if you actually spend some time with those people, like networking is changed our life networking is literally how we built businesses like it's because of our network how did we get a hundred thousand dollars sent to us for our deal it's because of our network so putting in the time right now as well for your network you don't know what you're going to use them for you don't know how you're going to benefit from them start putting in time to people that you know are high-end people that can add value in the future they don't have to add value right now but it's like you're planting your garden kind of you know maybe you want to you want a tomato today maybe you want another vegetable another day you need to plant your garden now in order to reap the benefits for later because then when you need a private money lender you've already spent six months like spending time with this person adding value to their life now you need a hundred grand and they're like sure like i trust you i yeah. know you and sit down with them in person like when we've been we spent a lot of time being like okay we've met with you know 15 private money lenders in the last few weeks but meeting with them in person yeah. it really brings that like extra layer of like let's just grab a coffee so like for us our work day is very blocked out we time block every hour so 12 we know we're gonna go grab a coffee with a new person whether that be a contractor private money lender investor whatever it is to bring to business because the second that you have that personal connection it just changes things. Yeah. I message a lot of people online, but I don't know. The second I meet them, yeah. it's a different flow in business.
business and I called the private money. He's like, oh yeah, Kins, I got you. It's all of a sudden Kins. It's like Kins anymore. Yeah, yeah. on that level. <laughs> when you and get a nickname, you know you're good. Okay? We're in. Well, let me, let me fire a question at you two because I'm curious how you approach this because you're both, you know, you both have following online and, and, and people want to probably reach out and grab coffee and pick your brain, right? So how do you, how do you deal with that when people are like, Hey, you want to, can we grab coffee? And like, they don't necessarily have any value to you. And the reason I ask you that is because I want your, like the audience to know how should they approach influencers or people that are busy and actually get an audience with them. So how do you deal with that? And then how should they approach them? I think that's again, finding your strength. You know, everybody wants something and everybody needs something. So, you know, what we're reaching out whether we're emailing them like when I'm reaching out even on Facebook so maybe they don't know that I have millions of followers it's like I'm a private money lender and I, I come out of the gates with hey we're planning doing 20 million dollars worth of deals this year we're really looking for a stable private money lender I would love to see if that would be you and then they see like whoa okay that's a big number and I would love to get so you got to figure out that private money lender wants to do deals. Yeah. So I knew to him that was enticing, you know, and that was yeah. not even me messaging from my Instagram. Yeah. So I think the followers help, but obviously that is a value add that we've identified about ourselves. And like we talked about before, find your value add. This is our value add, but it doesn't mean it's impossible if you don't have a following. I think it is important. Like your social presence is important. So you should make your Instagram look good, have a good profile picture, but more than anything, it's a numbers game. Everything yeah. is a numbers game. The more you reach out to people, the more likely you're able to get someone to reply. Our conversion rate is like 95%. So we don't really have to message. Like I message you and I message Ryan. I message. Not with your, she was building an app in the metaverse. She's an yeah. absolute boss. And so she needed a software engineer. Yeah. So the, yeah, that's what I was getting to is that like when we're doing it now, the conversion rate is really good. So we message five people. We usually get four replies. So that's really good. If your conversion rate isn't that good, that's okay. You just need to message more people. When I was on LinkedIn and I was messaging, I have this app called Digiland and it's a marketplace for real estate in the metaverse. I needed a software engineer and I am a real estate agent. Like a software engineer isn't likely to like reply to me. And I was messaging on LinkedIn because they don't always have like Instagrams and stuff. So I was messaging on LinkedIn and the conversion rate was not very good. I had to message like 25, 30 people a day. There's like a cap with LinkedIn. So <laughs> I could only message because I would have messaged way more than that. But then I had to go and find their email or their number and then do messages that way. But I was messaging like 25 to 30 people a day, software engineers just to get like one to two lunches a week, which is, doesn't seem like that much, but that was so valuable. And I ended up finding a software engineer, but that was so valuable yeah. because I had to understand what is my conversion rate? I'm not getting a lot of replies. It's really hard to find like the software engineers, emails and phone numbers, but you need to know first your conversion rate and second, what it's going to take to get like one or two coffee dates a week. And so that, I think that's how you solve that. And that perfectly applies to real estate investing, like trying to find deals too, right? People are like, oh, I can't find any real estate deals. I'm like, well, how many offers have you made? Well, one. Well, I'm like, or none, right? Like you gotta have, like in a, in a crazy market, it's not harder to do real estate. You just have to do more, you have to make more offers. You have to analyze more deals. So it's just a numbers game in all business. It's such a numbers game, which is why I like books like this traction, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, cause like we have goals now that are like process goals. In other words, like in my company, we had a goal of submitting 75 offers a quarter. Now that changes every quarter, but for example, a, a given quarter is typically 75 offers. Now these are multi-million dollar deals. 
And so because of that, we get about one out of every 10 or one out of every 15 offers accepted. We buy about five properties every quarter. So that's how we've been able to scale from zero to almost whatever, you know, whatever right now, almost half a billion. We should be, like I said, billion by the end of the year. And it's very predictable because the truth is in any area of a life, success should never be a surprise. Success, like nobody woke up one day and went, oh my gosh, look at my six pack. Where'd that come from? Like they worked at it for three years and they ate healthy. Of course they have a six pack. Look, look at your social media followings. They didn't, that didn't happen naturally. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You were meticulous. You planned it. You had a process. You have strategy behind it. Like a business. So like, it's run it like a business. That's what it is. And so when you can put numbers and goals and processes behind the, the results that you want to get to, and then just work your process, you're going to get the results you want. So I love that you brought that up about calling people. I've actually never done that on like Instagram or, or LinkedIn. And I don't know why I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean, you just oh totally my God. like when blew I, my mind in that way. We've worked together for five years, but we just started doing investing like two or three weeks ago. So we're brand new to this. Uh, but when we first started together, together, together yeah, we've done it separately. But now we're doing it together. Um, but the biggest thing that I learned, even obviously in real estate, but also developing my app, is that everything is a numbers game. And also, where is your conversion rate the best? We know that our conversion rate, obviously, for Instagram has a good conversion rate. But we also know in person, we have a very high conversion rate. So if you kind of know where you have the best conversion rate, it really is a numbers game. We know if we talk to five private money lenders in person, there's one of them that's going to find us an incredible deal with a low interest rate with, you know, one or two points up front. So which is a great deal. So if we know that, we know that all we have to do is get in front of five private money lenders and you can do that in a week. If you know your conversion, you know your numbers, it's not rocket science. It's really, really not. Like know the power of picking up the phone and being like, you want to grab coffee today for 30 minutes? Or not even the phone anymore. Now it's like Instagram is yeah. so powerful. Like just using LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, yeah. all the platforms. And you don't need a following. You just need to up your numbers if you don't have a following. And have a good professional page. I like that. Yeah, a good professional page. Because like it, you can't look like a robot. It has to be like John Smith or something where we can see your name. We can see your profile picture and you know, you reach out to people, send them your number. I mean, I always send them my number in LinkedIn. I'm, I don't really get that scared about it. I'm like, Hey, reach out to me. And then they call me and we're like, I'm like, Hey, look. now we, that's already one, two points of contact. I got you in, I touched you on LinkedIn. I touched you on a text message. Now we're going to meet in person. Once you have eight touches with someone, they're more likely to trust you with something. And we actually used to, we are, we're on a little bit of do not call list at this point in our <laughs> life, but we actually used to in the five years ago when we were trying to get listings for real estate. So if you're trying to buy off market properties, we would get the phone numbers from every sink for area code in that yeah. area and voicemail drop. Yeah. So we had a recorded voicemail like, Hi, this is Kinsey and Jessica Realty. We just passed by your house. We were wondering if you ever thought about selling. And it would drop to everybody in that area code, thousands and thousands of people a day. And people would call back and be like, oh you my know, God. I have thought about selling. I'm like, you're right, Karen, let me head on over. I'm no, like, it was it crazy. Voicemail drops are a hidden gem. Like it's <laughs> I not, think it was illegal. I it know. is illegal. It is. But there's 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 different ways to go about it. Like we didn't know at the time. We genuinely we were 19. Didn't. We didn't know. So what what you don't know, it's like, you know, ignorance is bliss. So one of the times when we first started the first week, we got this this call from this guy and he's let sent us a voice and he goes, You said, Do I want to sell my house? Yeah, I actually I really do. wanted to sell my house. We literally went to his house and got the listing. And we were like 
you know what? We're like, so numbers, it's a numbers game. And then we re- realized we can't be on the phone because we were cold calling, we were door knocking. And I was like, okay, I can only door knock 25 doors in this hour. This isn't making sense. So how about we just hit more numbers yeah. and do it all? And then they just hear our name yeah. more and more in their mouth. But yeah. <laughs> figure out how you can do more numbers. That leads to what we talked about earlier, right? Imagine you wanted to create a, a, a really successful real estate brokerage, right? There are a lot of things that have to happen in there. There's the door knocking, there's the outreach, there's the all the cold calling, maybe all that stuff you could do to generate traffic or interest. You don't have to do any of that. Like if you were thinking who not how, right? Like this whole who not how idea. It's like, okay, if the, what's possible is doing a hundred sales a year, how would I do a hundred sales a year? Well, I wouldn't be able to show every, every house to every person I want to work with me. That's for sure. Okay. So I guess I would need a showing assistant. Okay. I wouldn't want to do the cold cold call, I guess I would need some marketing people, right? So once you start asking, how do I do that with, and like, what's the only thing you as an agent have to do? Like, I mean, I'm not an agent, so I don't know the industry that well, but you could probably get down to like, you meet with the client one time and then answer some texts when people start to freak out. And most of your people can handle the rest of that. That's how the celebrities on TV, right? The selling sunset people, I'm sure they don't do a whole ton of the like door to door dirty stuff. Yeah, exactly. They're not doing the work. They got teams of people that do it for them. And I love that mentality. Good for them. They figured it up. Well, Brandon, I wanted to ask you one more thing. How did you get started? Because I, I actually did thought, I thought you were the founder of Bigger Pockets. I, I so too. I thought you you are the face. You are the person I think of. I w- listen to your audio books. So you are, for me, Bigger Pockets. But how did you get started? You're not the founder? Yeah, I actually wasn't. Josh Dorkin founded it. Josh is one of my best friends. Actually lives in my neighborhood now. We're like, we're, we're besties. But so Josh started it alone and it was an, actually it was an acting website for actors to learn how to like make more money as an actor. And then that didn't grow. Uh, and he was an actor in Hollywood or trying to be anyway. And he's, anyway, it wasn't working. So Josh pivoted it and made it a real estate thing. That's when I found it was very early on. And I started just helping out, like answering or asking questions, answering questions and all that. And I became friends then with Josh in a probably, a, you know, similar way to you. You guys working together. We became friends and then we're like, wow, we really like this. We like each other. We like working together. And what it was, was this magic spark that like, there's a great book out there called Rocket Fuel. It's actually the sequel to Traction. I mean, I'm just dropping book names left and right, but Rocket Fuel is, it's this idea that some people are really good at the vision and some people are good at like doing the work to make it happen. And you have to have both that. That's Rocket Fuel. And so Josh, like it wasn't, it wasn't like when I came in, bigger pockets blew up because I was so smart and gifted. I'm not, I'm I'm coming a moron, but I was the doer to his vision. And then when he retired, I became the vision and we brought in another team, like a team of doers, including Scott Trench, who is now CEO. And then when I stepped away now to kind of do my own thing, there's new vision and new, like it's that rocket fuel. So anyway, that's, that's the background of bigger pockets. And then meanwhile, I just built my real estate investing alongside of it the whole time from whatever, zero to 5,000 units. The whole time I was with bigger pockets, just kept building. Wow. Incredible. Speaking of books, you guys, if you guys are interested, Brandon has a ton of books. Yeah. They're all incredible. Yeah. Way too many. (laughs) So check those out. Check out his socials. You can see all of his videos on Bigger Pockets. I, I, Bigger Pockets is incredible still. But I, once you stop really making videos, I kind of stop watching. <laughs> Gotta be honest here. I don't. Brandon, you were bigger pockets. You, you were. You were bigger pockets. So like, I thank you. It doesn't exist anymore because it was just it was that's Brandon's well, turn. That's like, funny. That's what we think of. Well, no, I think Dave- I'm coming back on. I, I am. I'm. Com- I got an episode coming up pretty soon. I'm. I'm coming back on. I just needed a little break, so I went and toured the world for three months with my family. Uh, I'll, I'll start helping out again now. You deserve that. Oh, you deserve yeah, that. You know. <laughs> but I have read your book. I think like five times in a row. 
Oh. And then there's David Green, the Burr, and then there, yeah, there's so. I, I said I let David Green write the Burr book, even though I coined the term. He wrote the Burr book because he's actually way better than I am. Did you really? He's, a, he's good at Burr. Term? Yeah. Burr, yeah, yeah. I wrote a I wrote a blog post about about this weird strategy that I did that other people seem to do and nobody knew what to call it. And so I was like, let's just call it buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. It's like flipping, but you hold on to it. Brandon, you started a nationwide phenomenon. Like yeah. it's it's YouTube, it's everywhere. Not to pat myself on the back too much here, but I also started the term house hacking. I wrote an article about house hacking and that became like a now like agents use it in their listings all the time. Like great for house hacking when wow. it's like the duplex setting. So wow. Did you that was another. Yeah, did you trademark the I, I didn't, and here's why. Uh, if you trademark it, you have to attack people who use it. So there's some like other terms in the industry that are trademarked, and you know that because they will sue you if you use those terms. And so like, I can't even use them on a podcast. Like just like certain like, I want to buy your house phrases, you can't use because they'll sue you for using them, which is just ridiculous because they trademarked it and they have to. It's not it, their fault. It's kind of they continue to use it because honestly yeah, people yeah. do kind of give you the, sh the shout out so it's kind of beneficial that they yeah. use it you're like use my word but just give me some love yeah yeah i know i'm like i'm like yeah follow me on instagram and you can use my word i don't care yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, you guys should follow him on instagram also wait do you have no, a youtube channel your own personal uh not not yet i mean i, I do but i don't really post on it yet so I'll, I'll get back into it at some point soon but We'll get there. Right now, I'm TikTok, Instagram. That's my two things now. Yeah. yeah. And December 16th, we're getting you on uh, Yeah, we need TikTok. to we also need to refer you some. We have some amazing, like, editors and, like, social media. Oh, editors. yeah. I would love to learn how you guys kill. You guys kill it. So, I mean, just kill it. So I'm all like, I love, like I started following both of you a little while ago, just like trying to figure out how, yeah, you're both amazing at it. So you yeah, answered right away. Like I thought it was going to be hard to get people on our podcast. I don't know why, but then everyone answered right away. And I was like, Kinsey, I think we could get Tony Robbins on this podcast. <laughs> you probably could get Tony Robbins. <laughs> Well, no, so, so the secret, you guys have probably found this already, but the secret to getting big people, like we've had a, like a ton of big guests. I learned this from Gary Vaynerchuk in one of his books is you wait till they have a book coming out. When people have a book coming out or a movie, they're on sale. So like Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk will charge you a hundred grand to go on your podcast, but if he's got a book coming out, he'll do it for free. So it's all about, same with like all the big guys. So actively monitor the uh, publishing companies, like get in touch with the publishing companies. Who's the promotion people at the publishing companies. Find out ahead of time what books, I'm just giving away all bigger pocket secrets here find out where the what big books are coming out and there you got your guests lined up for the next few months it's it works like a charm what a life wow but i will say how you build a cult following is by giving secrets away that's what tony robbins always preaches you have to add value because like most of the time people aren't going to use it anyways because it's the action people that you got to worry about but there's not there's not that many people that will actually take action but i think just like teaching people and giving those secrets away like that is what sets you apart and that is what set bigger pockets apart is that they were teaching people what these multi-billionaire investors will never sit down and teach people and i think that's how you guys have now built an empire and now you like kind of stepping away bigger pockets gave you that platform and now like we're you know with all of our followers like we look to you and that brings so many eyeballs to you as well having like influencers now looking at you as the person you know that they want to learn from so congratulations <laughs> on creating your empire we're so proud of you 
thing. Hey, two quick points on that. One, when I started, when I was like, whatever, I 24, 25, I started kind of playing with the online world. I set a goal for myself. I said, I want to be the guy that celebrities and athletes and like, you know, influencers kind of a, not a term at the time, but like, basically that's what I meant. Like people online, I wanted to be the guy they go to. And I've been kind of working toward that for like, you know, over a decade now, which is cool to hear you say that. Cause like, that was the original goal. It was like, I want to be that person. That was actually like a literal goal I had. So it's, it, it's cool. It's, it, it's a testament to like, when you have a goal and just like work towards it and like verbalize it, like the things just naturally come true. Uh, the second thing I'll point out is this. So I've raised like $150 million now from social media, like $150 million from social media. Like I can't even believe like those words make sense. Right. But they do. And here's why it's not, I mean, I rarely ask for money on social media. Like I rarely like go out there and like say, Hey, I'm raising money right now. Come give me money. In fact, there's a lot of ways that's it's, you have to do that the right way. It could be illegal. But here's the thing. I once had an investor who gave me tons of money and he said this, he said, Brandon, the reason I invested in open door capital, which is my company, open door capital. The reason I invested in open door capital is because of how you talk about your wife online. Let that sink in for a minute. Like how I talk about, and I'm not patting myself on the back here. What I'm saying is like people watch who you are and they invest in you. They want to work for you. They don't want the deal. I mean, like the, the deal should make sense, right? But their reason you two are able to attract all that private money and you're finding deals and wholesalers is not because you have the world's best deals. I hope you do. It's because people like you and they trust you and they want to do business with people they like and trust. So that applies to everybody listening right now is like you said earlier, plant your garden now, or I like to say, dig your well before you're thirsty. They're watching you right now. Your private lender from five years from now is watching what you're doing right now, how you talk about your wife, your kids, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your date nights, whatever. They're watching. That's what's literally anything that I've seen that I've like in business wise. It's yeah. kind of like that not saying guys like, but if a guy and I'm in a bit talking with them business and they say something degrading about their wife or about yeah. their morals as far as like their entire moral compass, like they cheat or they the second like that's why you play golf with business people because yeah if they mess up the score because golf is pretty easy like oh no no I, only, I got that that was a par for me then you know you take them golfing first and if they're not all good morally i'm like nope yeah. we're not doing that <laughs> no it is true though because even like how you build a following and how you get people to like you and obviously no one's going to give money to anyone they don't like but how you get people to like you and follow you is like you are a nice person that people they trust you with like their kids i guess like more <laughs> their family you know like they trust you in the sense where it's like brandon you know my uncle brandon so i think that's a huge thing that people undervalue that they're like oh i need the best deal i need all the money in the world no you just need to be a good person and work hard I call it intentional authenticity, which means like you're being authentic, but you're intentional. Like you're, you're making a point to show your, that you're authentic. So another way, here's a good example. I will sometimes tell people, I've told this numerous times that, and it's totally true that I am most self-conscious in life about my voice. Like I, I've never, since I was a little kid, I was made fun of. I was in speech therapy and I, I, I to today, I have a hard time. Ironic. I'm known for my, my voice, but like, it's by, by, so much. right. Isn't that funny but by saying that i have made a point i have been intentional about opening up and being vulnerable and so i'm not hiding my vulnerability i'm broadcasting them uh and i talk about like things that i'm struggling with or if i have a deal goes bad i'm like oh like like we left 80 grand because of a bad tax mistake a couple weeks ago that i had to eat and i'm like so i like put that out i have a text message newsletter told all whatever thirty thousand people on that list yeah i just screwed up and i lost 80 grand it sucks it hurts to lose that money but 
Because of that, I bet you I will raise millions more over my career because I was intentional because now they're like, oh, he's not just showing us the highlight reel. He's showing us what's real. So that'd be my encouragement for everybody is don't hide the authentic you. Be intentional about it. Exacerbate it. I mean, this was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting great, but this yeah. was really, really nice. Thank you so much for coming We knew on. you would be great, but you still blew it out of the water. <laughs> what about well, that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you two are phenomenal hosts. So this has been, this has been thank awesome. Thank you. So don't forget, you guys, follow Brandon Turner on all social media platforms. Check out his books. Check out anything else he's got going on right now. And check where, out ours as well. Blood where would you say, Brandon, if we were going to um, get people to follow you, where would you say the best place? Instagram, YouTube? Yeah, probably either Instagram or TikTok. It's just Beardy Brandon, like beard with a Y. Beardy Brandon. TikTok or Instagram. Beardy Brandon. And then what are the top two books that you would recommend that you wrote? Oh man, okay, that I've wrote. I thought you were gonna say in general. Uh, okay, so if you're brand new to real estate and you don't know what path you want to go down, like you don't know flipping or vacation rentals or whatever, you want a high level overview, I wrote one specifically for that. It's probably my least like bestseller. Like it's the one that's sold probably the least, but it's the one that every beginner should read. It's called How to Invest in Real Estate. It's like, here's broad. So that's the one I'd probably recommend. And then the most popular one is called the book on rental property investing. That's the one that sold millions of copies. And uh, that's just how to do rentals. Yes, you guys check those books out. I promise you, you will learn something. Brandon, we appreciate you so much. Thanks. You've been such an inspiration. Appreciate you too. And we're gonna see you in LA, right? Yeah. You're gonna come you. have Yes, we're gonna do it. Okay.